Hello, Freedom House Central Campus. Awesome to be with you guys today. My name is Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team. And give me one second, because I'm going to move this up just a little bit. I like to be close to y'all. Is that okay? We can snuggle a little bit today. Is that all right? Don't be, let's not make it weird. Don't be, don't be scared. My name's Olin Carter, like I said. Um, something that is very unique and special about our church is that we have multiple campuses, but we have a live communicator, a pastor bringing God's word at all of our campuses, every service, every single week, which is a huge part of our senior pastor's vision to build this church, not on themselves or on one person or personality, but on the vision that God has given us, and we do it together as a team. Can we give our senior pastors just a little bit of honor and appreciation for that? I love them so much, love to honor them for that. Because of that vision, I get to do what I get to do, and uh, there's a place for every single person in this room today to take part in building that vision. And so we wanna invite you guys, man, be a part of it. Now, before I jump in to the message today, I do wanna take a moment and greet those that are joining us online. We have an online campus. For those of you who might not be aware, we are streaming right now to people all around the world. We have people tuning in from Florida, from Michigan, New York, Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, Georgia, Delaware, Ohio, Louisiana, West Virginia, New Jersey, Tennessee, New Hampshire, and Jamaica. You guys give it up for them. We're so glad you're with us today. And man, we have just an amazing series right now. Now, how many of you were here last week when we kicked it off? The wonderful Morgan Mokai killed it. Amazing message on honor. If you have not, if you weren't here, go to our YouTube channel, check that out. It was an just a powerful, powerful message to kick off this series. And this series that we're in right now is what does the Bible say about fill in the blank? You can fill it. We're gonna cover so many different things. And the the, the thing that I have to cover today. Um, I think I'm gonna hit this from a, a unique standpoint to give you a biblical worldview, but this is a, such an important topic, especially in the culture that we're in right now. We're gonna talk about today, what does the Bible say about sin? What does the Bible say about sin? Is it okay if I say sin in church? Man, most churches don't say sin anymore. It's become, a, it's become a, a dirty word, right? It's, it's, a, it's a forbidden, it's taboo, even in church. But I think we need to talk about sin just a little bit. Turning your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. I would encourage you today to take some notes. Um, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of scripture today. I'm going to cover a lot of different things today, and I would encourage you to write some stuff down. I think it's going to help you. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy 
spirit. Now look at verse 21. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name. Let's do it again. It says, and you shall call his name. One more time. And you shall call his name. Isn't that the name above every name today? Then there's something about the name of Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say that he will save them from their poverty. It doesn't say that he will save them from war. It doesn't say that he will save them from drugs. It doesn't say that he will save them from depression. It doesn't say that he will save us from tyranny. I believe that Jesus can save us from all those things. But the reason he was sent was to save us from our sins. God doesn't see all these other problems as the priority, as the primary issue. And in your life, what are you seeing as the primary issue? Is it your kids? Is it your money? Is it your job? Is it your marriage? Is it your relationships? Is it that promotion? Or is it sin? Is it keeping, maintaining a close personal relationship with God and getting rid of anything that would block that, that would keep you from God. God sent his one and only son into our world through the Virgin Mary in order to what? Save us, rescue us from our sins. It sounds like to me sin might just be important. It might be something we need to think about, talk about, it might be an important thing. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the, the man that Jesus said, there's no greater person born from a woman on this earth ever than John the Baptist. What was his ministry? Baptizing them as they confessed their sins and repented. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. Turn there with me if you would. Matthew 9. And verse 1 says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came into his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Isn't it interesting that the first thing Jesus addresses is not his physical ailment. It's the ailment in his soul. He says, you're forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. The people brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. He can't move. He's been lying on his backside for probably his entire life. And what does Jesus address first? 
his sins. He heals the man, glory to God. I mean, that's amazing. But how many of us today, if someone were brought in here in a wheelchair, on a mat like this, laid down in front of us, and we, we, we laid hands on the person, we prayed for the person, and this person who we all knew for most of our lives, or maybe for all of theirs, maybe it was a young person who grew up in our church, and this person came up here and we prayed, and the person jumped up, healed. We would lose our minds. This place would go crazy. It would beat any encounter we've ever had. Y'all would dance this place. I mean, we would rip the roof off of this place. It would be incredible. What if we saw five? What if we saw ten? What if we went out and we saw somebody raised from the dead? Because Jesus did that. People saw that. But what was the priority? Bringing forgiveness for their sins. Then why, when we see someone saved, when we see a hand raised, when we see a heart transformed, do we not get that excited as we do when we see a miracle? Because there is no greater miracle than that. But see, the culture will tell you that sin is no big deal. The world will tell you, ah, sin, we all do it. It's not a big issue. So you're looking at pornography, all guys do it. So you cheated on your spouse, it happens. No big deal. Don't beat yourself up. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. People go through it. It's just, you know, it's just one of those things. And Satan has always been trying to convince people that sin is small and harmless. Satan wants us to think of sin as something tiny, something benign, something that we can just, you know, be cozy with, that we can tolerate, something that's okay. Don't worry. It's not going to hurt you. The original temptation, we see Eve reply to the serpent. This is Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, who said? God said you must not eat it or even touch it. God said don't go near it. Don't touch it much less eat from it. It's forbidden. It's, it's, it's off the table. Don't touch it. If you do, you will die. God says the consequences for sin are going to be severe. They're gonna be important. It's, it's, gonna, it's gonna hurt. It's not a light thing. Don't, don't, don't mess around. Don't, don't flirt with the line. Don't snuggle up to it. No, get back. Beware, if you do it, you will die. But what does Satan say? Verse four, you won't die. It's not that big a deal. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Let's compare the two themes here, the two ways that God approaches it and the way that Satan approaches it. God said, don't even touch it. When God looks at sin, when God talks to us about sin, God says, flee, run from sin, run for your life. Jesus said, if your eye is causing you to sin, rip it out. If your right hand is causing you to sin, 
cut it off. Now don't go out there and pluck your eye out. He's using some hyperbole here to make a point. I don't want a church full of one-eyed sinners, right? You know, like that'd be bad. We all come to church and we know, I think they were messing up this week, you know. Patch on our eye. But Jesus is saying sin is so important that in the spiritual, in, in the reality of it, you'd be better to have one hand than to give in to sin, to live a life dominated by sin, to let sin control you and take you to the grave, to separate you from God. God said it's that important. And I think the image we need to have from God's warnings about sin is Forrest Gump. Anybody seen Forrest Gump? I saw this uh, clip the other day of Forrest Gump and you know, you, you just see the road and then all of a sudden you see Forrest come out of nowhere and Forrest, it, Forrest doesn't run like this. This is how I run. It's, I'm walking quickly, right? Like, I don't really run. You know, it's, that, that's my run. But when Forrest Gump runs, right? I mean, you get... I mean, Forrest is getting it. What do they say? Run, Forrest, run. Keep on running, man. I mean, he's running, and then his truck is behind him, and, and it builds the tension because the truck is getting closer, and then all of a sudden, Forrest is running, and then he just turns, and then he just goes the other way. They can't get him. I was laughing so hard. I'm like, this guy's an idiot, but he can run. He can run, and that should be our testimony as Christians. I would love, when I get to heaven, I would love God and the angels to look down at me and say, boy, that boy ain't real bright, but he can run. Man, he flees from sin. When sin comes, I'm getting it. I'm not hanging around. I'm not cozying up to it. Man, it's like a rattlesnake when I see sin, when I sense sin, when I'm around it, when temptation comes, man, I'm kicking it into Forrest Gump mode. Let's go. Run, Forrest, run. You gotta flee from sin. Satan, on the other hand, says, don't worry. It's okay, sin. Sin is no big deal. Sin isn't gonna hurt you. And listen to me, church. The reason that the world doesn't listen to us when we warn them about sin is because we're so cozy with it. Don't, don't mess with sin. We're telling the world, sin will kill you. Sin will destroy your life. And they're like, well, you have a pet snake right there. Like, you, you love sin. You're so comfortable with it. So why would they heed our warnings when we're just cozied up next to it? I saw this video the other day. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. These people were in this national park sitting on a park bench feeding a bear. They had had way too much to drink. And this lady who is filming them is going, y'all are stupid. That bear is going to kill you. Like, run, get away. And this dude comes down and starts making the bear a peanut butter jelly sandwich. They're giving the bear peanut butter. And this is a big black bear. And they're just cool with it. They're just cozying up because they're, you know, they've been drinking. They're just having fun. Oh, I'm fine. In one moment, that bear could turn around and kill them. But if we're cozy with the bear, how are we going to warn other people? They're going to think, well, that bear must be tame. 
must be harmless because we're cozy with sin. Here's the truth if you're taking notes today. And this is something, it's a simple statement. But when you wrap your I guarantee a lot of you in the room, when I say it, your brain's going to reject it. It's a simple statement. But the truth is that sin is always worse than we think. That's the truth. That's the truth. In our flesh, we have this little thing where we want to tolerate it. We want to allow it a little bit. We want to flirt with it a little bit. We know it's bad, but we don't know it's as bad as it really is. We don't look at sin the way we should look at sin. In our flesh, we will always underestimate the cost of sin and overestimate the perceived benefits of it. That relationship that seems so alluring, we don't sit down and really think through the fact, man, I go down this road, I'm gonna wreck my family. I'm gonna screw up my kids for 20, 30 years. They're gonna have to be in counseling because I'm cheating on my spouse. We don't think about that. We just think, I just need a little... Someone to listen to me. It's not that big a deal. It's going to be fine. I love my kids. I love, you know, it'll be all right, and I won't go too far. Listen, sin will always take you farther than you wanted to go. It will always keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it will always cost you more than you want to pay. Always. And so if sin is such a scary, terrible, hideous, deceitful, damaging monster, if sin is really this big of a deal, why do we have so many churches and pastors in America who don't even mention it anymore? We don't hear messages on sin in America. Thank God we have pastors that will actually call sin, sin. But so many churches, so many pastors, you look online and social media, And churches are just going to where they won't even address sin or they won't even call sin, sin. I read this story the other day, Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman. He told of a distinguished Methodist minister in Australia who preached on sin. One of his church officers came afterwards to talk with him in his study and he said, Pastor, Dr. Howard, we don't want you to Talk so plainly as you do about sin because if our boys and girls hear you talking so much about sin, they will more easily become sinners. Don't call it sin. Call it a mistake. But you don't have to speak so plainly about sin. The minister went to the utility closet. He brought back a small bottle of strychnine that was clearly marked rat poison. He said, I see what you want me to do. You want me to change the label. Suppose I take off the label of poison and I put on some milder label, something such as the essence of peppermint. Don't you see what will happen? The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. I'll say it again. The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. Have you stopped to think lately why the world is so outraged by our words? Not not that we're gonna pass a law that prohibits people from sinning. And I love when people get online and they, they fuss and fight and they get angry. They get angry at our pastors, our church and stuff. You're controlling people and you're, listen, As a pastor, can I just break it to you? 
I can't make one person do anything. I can't make any of y'all come to church. I don't go to your house. And like, I don't have security cameras hidden. Like, you know, I mean, you know, they, oh, that's one drink too many. Put it down. Like, I'm not going to come kicking your door in, right? Like, we have no control over your life. Pastors don't make law. So why when a pastor gets in a public setting like this or goes on social media and just says, hey, sin is sin. That is wrong. Why do people lose their minds? Why is it that the world is so worked up and angry about what certain people just call a thing? Because Satan wants to change the label. He wants people to take the poison. And the milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. Satan wants us to change the label. He says, don't call it adultery. Call it swinging. Don't call it unnatural. Call it trans. Just soften it a little bit. Don't be so harsh. Don't call it sodomy. Call it sexual orientation. Because the milder the label, the more dangerous the poison. Satan wants people to take the poison. He's a pusher. And if we put a warning label on the poison, somebody might not take it. Some people out there, some people will, but some people might wake up and say, man, I think this is going to lead me down a wrong road. I think this is going to bring me to destruction. I think this might be a big deal. And Satan doesn't want that. Listen to this. This is from the NASW, the National Association of Social Workers. This is their comment. I pulled this from their website just a couple days ago. This is very current. And this is their comment on LGBT. I'm not making this up, y'all. This is their comment on LGBTQIA2S+. I'm not making this up. I literally copied and pasted this. People who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and or gender expansive, queer and or questioning, intersex, asexual, and two-spirit are members of every community and provide incredibly important contributions to society every day. NASW further recognizes that LGBTQIA2S+, I'm reading it, people have always been part of our social workforce and continue to make meaningful contributions to our profession. LGBTQIA2S+. You know how you know this is so demonic? It doesn't even make sense. I go into a convenience store, knock the place over, run out with a handful of cash. Police show up later. And they say, did you get a good look at the thief? Well, yes, I did. Wasn't wearing a mask. Came in plain clothes. Robbed the place about 20 minutes ago. Well, can you describe the person was he male or female? 
I don't know. I didn't stop to ask them. I can't answer that question for you, officer. I don't know. How, how I identify myself isn't even a thing. That expression was invented about 10 minutes ago. How I identify myself is stupid. I go to parties sometimes, walk in the room. I don't know everybody. Sometimes we do name tags. But I know me. I don't need a name tag for me. That is stupid. If I don't know who I am, something's broken. Hello. And I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm trying to illustrate the demonic nature of what is happening in our country. We use photo ID in this country. I go to the airport. How do they know I'm me? Because the stuff on the photo ID can be compared to reality. If my photo ID had long flowing hair, they would have to stop me for a minute. <laughs> They'd be like, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Why would you call me sir? I say in a deep voice with a beard. You don't know anymore. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? It's just stupid. Identity is for others. So I have an external identity so you can identify me. I don't need to identify me. I know me. Wake up with me every day. And so when you think about the context of what is happening, again, not making light of anybody's issues, but how demonic it is because Satan wants to change the label. He wants to control our words. And listen, this is not new, guys. This is not new. Listen to this quote from Thomas Manton. He was an English Puritan preacher. And listen, this wasn't in the 1870s. This wasn't in the 1970s. This was in the 1670s. He says, first we practice sin, then defend it, then boast of it. Sin is first our burden, then our custom, then our delight, then our excellency. That was happening in 1670. And it's still happening today. Why? Same devil. Same devil. Same agenda. And when we talk about the current agenda, oh, there's an agenda out there. There is, but there's always been. It's part of the same agenda to change the label, to get us comfortable with sin. So why do so many people cooperate with Satan in changing the label? Why do we do that? Because no one likes their sin pointed out. You don't like it? I don't like it. We don't like it when somebody points out our sin. When somebody calls what we're doing and justifying sin, we don't like it. Because none of us want to be considered a sinner. None of us like want to walk around as a bad person. And so we find out ways, we figure out ways in our mind to justify what we do. I'm doing that, I maybe, but you know, I'm, I'm really justified in doing that because... I was hurt. They treated me this way. I grew up this way. Everyone's doing it. And so we justify it. And then when someone calls what we're doing sin, we don't like that. We don't like it. And here's the truth we need to understand today. 
The closer we get to God, the more sensitive we get to sin. And the more welcome we get to correction and instruction. You know you're maturing in Christ when even the smaller things, the sins that you know, aren't as detrimental to your life, the sins that don't have as big of consequences, bother us. The sins we used to not even think about or tolerate, now it's like, man... It's like the, the Holy Spirit progressively works in us to root out every sin in our life. And we also know we're growing because we welcome correction. When correction comes, when someone comes at us, a pastor, a leader, a, a Christian friend that says, hey, I think you're getting off track, we welcome that more. We're more open to it. Now, we don't always get happy about it. Sometimes I have to get corrected and I don't like, woohoo, you know, like, yay, I'm all messed up, you know, like, straighten me out. That doesn't feel good. But the more I understand the value of it and the more open I am to it, I'm like, this is correction. I need correction. I need someone to help me in my life. The farther we get from God, the more desensitized we get to sin. And the more we reject correction and instruction, it's not that certain sins are necessarily, it's like we're trying to put everybody on a stair step of like, you're a worse sinner than I am. That's not the point. Because we're all equally guilty as sinning before God. Because the Bible says all sin is disobedience to the Lord. And so we've all done it. So if you sin in this, what we would term a minor sin or a big sin, or it's all disobedience to God. But what we do know out of the book of Romans, is that certain sins, certain desires, certain affections are unnatural. And unnatural affections only come after a period of rejecting God. Look at Romans chapter 1 with me. This is verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as, as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Now look at verse 24. See if this bears any resemblance to what we're experiencing today in our culture. It says, therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. The more people pull away from God and resist his love and grace, the more God will allow us to have what we want. God's greatest judgment on a nation is to give us what we ask for. To, to, to give us over, to pursue the things our flesh desires. The answer has to be us, the church. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. One last thing before we get to the solution today. This is a common question. You faced it, I face it, we think about it. But what about Christians who still sin? How dare you call out sin, you hypocrites? Because you sin and I sin. Do you ever see that as a problem? A common argument is that Christians are just hypocrite, hypocrites because we all still 
sin. Look at the Catholic Church and all the scandals in the last decade. Look at pastors, nationally famous pastors in the last few years who've fallen into scandal, who have fallen from grace, who've had moral failures. Look at that. But here's the thing. The Christian life was never supposed to be characterized by the total removal of temptation. That is not how the Christian life is to be characterized. It is characterized by the struggle against sin and the steady victory over it. Run, Forrest, run. That is how our lives are to be seen. The world should not see the, a perfect church, perfect Christians. It should see Christians who are fleeing from sin, struggling with sin, winning against sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 through 10, it says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him, little children. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, praise Jesus, was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to rescue us. He came to destroy the works of the devil. No one, verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now that's a heavy passage of scripture right there. I remember as a young Christian reading that and just freaking out. Like, well, I still sin sometimes, so I'm, I don't even know God. Like, what is this thing saying? Listen, we overthink it. What John is saying is that people who just live in sin, practice sin, embrace sin, don't be fooled. There are people out there on the internet right now saying, going, masquerading under the name of clergy, pastor, reverend, saying, oh, these things are good. All these things are fine. LGBTQIS2 plus, did I get them all? I think I did. It's great. It's biblical. Listen, he's saying, don't be fooled by those people. Any pastor, any church that's preaching, teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and is not calling you to holiness, that ain't the real thing. Not the real thing. The false believer or the carnal, immature believer, listen, use grace as an excuse to live in sin. I'm gonna say that again. The false believer and the immature, carnal believer use grace as an excuse to live in sin. And I wanna be real clear. You don't lose your salvation when you commit a sin because you didn't get your salvation by stopping your sin. Everybody understand that? So it's not I commit a sin and I lose my salvation, that's not how salvation works. We receive it, he saved us, and we receive it by faith. It's a gift of God, okay? But we understand from this passage, 
if we are truly saved, we've put our faith in Jesus because there's a lot of people who think they're a Christian because they go to church every once in a while or they grew up in a Christian home, but they've never truly put their faith and trust in Jesus. They've never had their heart transformed and so they can live in sin comfortably. You're not a Christian. If you can live comfortably in sin, you're not a Christian. You need to repent today. A true believer will fall into sin, will struggle with sin. None of us are ever gonna be exempt from sin, but the true believer cannot live a life day in, day out, month after month, year after year, comfortable in sin. If they can, the Bible's lying. I'm sorry, that's a little heavy, but it's true. And I would rather you hear that and come to Christ today than to leave out of here thinking you're okay. Living a life of sin, no remorse, feeling justifying yourself, and not to have a relationship with God. The immature believer, the false believer, use grace. Listen, the mature believer, the growing believer, the true believer, not perfect. We mess up, we sin, we fall short. God knows I do all the time but we're empowered by grace. We don't use grace as an excuse to live in sin. We're empowered by grace to fight and win against sin. And even while struggling with sin, a true follower of Jesus will never feel comfortable in it. And so the cardinal signs of a follower of Jesus and somebody who's really growing in their faith, pursuing God, has truly given their heart to Jesus, this is so simple, two things. He tells you right here, love and sin. Love and sin. We take them both seriously. We love our brother and man, we run from sin. Run, forest, run. We're gonna flee from sin because we don't look at sin as a light thing. We look at sin as an enemy to our soul. So how, in closing today, how does the Christian combat sin? What do we do with all this? Hopefully today, some of you might be mad at me, but hopefully you see sin now as something you need to take serious. Not something light, something to play with. Hopefully you see sin as a big deal. It's something that causes great trouble in our lives. It can destroy our lives. Hopefully you see sin that way. So what do we do about it? We've got a world full of people that are hurting and lost. What do we do? Number one, we take it seriously. The truth is that sin is always worse than we think. This will cause us, listen, not to fight against people, but to fight for people with humility. To understand, man, I've fallen short. I've sinned, and so I'm not gonna beat you up for it. No, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna come and try to fight for you with humility. Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. This is the image I want you to have. You're going in to help someone with sin. You ever seen one of those movies? Like, I think one is called Outbreak or something. It's like this deadly disease that's gonna kill everybody in the world. What do they do when they go in to deal with the disease? They put on these big yellow hazmat suits with the, you know, the shield here and they look like a Martian or something. They got these huge hazmat suits and they walk in because they can't be exposed to it. That's how we need to view sin. 
when we're dealing with sin, when we're counseling someone about, man, you gotta put the hazmat suit on of the Holy Spirit. You gotta, you gotta look at sin as like, I don't wanna touch it. I don't want it on me. I'm gonna deal with this thing with humility. I'm not just gonna walk in there at all. Let me see it. If we were dealing with a vial of some deadly virus, you wouldn't just walk in the, the pressure containment unit, just no hazmat suit and go, hey, let me see it here. Oh, I'm gonna throw it up there. Oh, that's cool. No, you would walk in there. You'd be trembling. You'd be sweating. You'd, be, you'd have your suit on, your protection on because it's serious. And number two, so number one is we take it seriously. Number two, don't change the label. Don't refuse to change the label. I will not be told what to label something. I will label it what God labels it. You will not control my language. You will not censor me. You will not tell me what words I have to say. No, I'm going to call it what God calls it. Satan wants us to change the label. And why is this so important? Because of the power of confession. We receive the gift of salvation, how? By faith, and then we confess Jesus as our Lord. Now, let me teach you something real quick, and we're gonna end. How do you get victory in your life over the power of sin? Confession. Same way, confession gives us the power over sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin... That word right there means to call it what God calls it. When you're a Christian, when you go to God, you don't go to God to repent from your sins. Repent means you turn around and walk the other way. Repentance is something you do. When you go to God, when you have sin in your life, you don't repent, you confess. You confess. You call it what God calls calls it. It says he is faithful. When we confess our sins, when we call it what he calls it, it says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And better than that, he doesn't just forgive you for the sin you confessed. It says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only will he forgive you for the sin you confessed, he goes into the stuff you don't even know you did wrong and he cleanses you from that. When you confess before God, it unlocks the power of the Holy Spirit to, to cleanse you completely from sin, from the effects of sins, from sins you don't even know, you thought about, you committed. He totally wipes the slate clean. And I'm telling you, in the last year or two of my life, this has become just a bedrock of my relationship with God. Because for so long, I thought I had to go to God and repent. God, I'm so sorry. God doesn't need to hear that I'm sorry. He wants me to call it what he calls it. He says, bring it to me and be honest. Call it what it is. Submit yourself to me and I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you. And you'll feel so guilty and you'll feel so much shame. And you go to God and you say, God, I'm so sorry I did it again. And this is what I did, God. And I'm gonna call it what you call it. I lied. I stole. I did this. I hurt this person. I was, I was filled with hate, God. God, this is what I did. And the moment you call it what he calls it, man, you feel it just lift. I've been driving in my car and just, man, just confess it. Just confess. And man, it's like just, just feel the wind of God come all over me and the shame leaves and the guilt leaves 
because he cleanses us. But we can't change the label. We've got to call it what he calls it. I'm going to ask you to stand, with your, stand on your feet with me today. I want to end with this. This is a quote from Martin Luther. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to read this. I want you to be thinking about this as I read it. And we're going to pray. He says there are two types of sin. One kind is confessed. And this no one should leave unforgiven. The other kind is defended. This one no one can forgive. For it refuses either to be counted as sin or to accept forgiveness. When Christ talks about forgiveness or the keys in Matthew 18, 18, therefore he puts the two side by side, loosing and binding to make this clear. It is impossible to loose a sin which a person refuses to acknowledge as a sin that needs to be forgiven. If he holds on to it and refuses to drop it, I cannot take it from him, but must let him remain stuck in it for he himself has changed a forgivable sin into an unforgivable one. There's only one way you give sin power in your life. It's by refusing to confess it. It's by holding on to it. Because we have free will, God says when you hold on to that sin, when you refuse to call it what he calls it, when you refuse to confess it and give it up to him, he says you you turn a very forgivable sin into an unforgivable one. I can't help you. I can't rescue you. Jesus came. He was sent for one purpose, to rescue us from our sins. Let him rescue you today. Let him set you free. Walk out of here today free and light. Shame off of you. No more guilt. Just confess it. Today, I'm going to ask you right now, if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. The gospel is that he came again to rescue you, and it is a free gift received by faith. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior right now, if you're watching online, there's a button there in the chat. We have people that will pray with you. You can click that now just to to raise your hand. But if that's you in this room and you want to receive Jesus as your Savior right now, you want him to clean you, cleanse you, restore you. If that's you right now, just lift your hand up to heaven. I'm going to pray with you. Amen. I see that hand. Who else? Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. I see that hand in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand right now. Man, God is going to do a work in your life. There's nothing like experiencing The salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, he will set you free. Amen. We're going to pray this together. And listen, church, everybody in here, I want us all to participate. Maybe you've been saved, you've been serving God for a long time, but maybe there's been some sin and you've held on to it. You've refused to confess it. Maybe you've changed the label. You've made excuses. It's not that bad. It's okay. Everyone does it. This is the moment I want you to let it go. Just release it to God right now. You don't need to grovel. You don't need to come down here. You just need to call it what he calls it. He'll do a work in you. You can't clean yourself up. He does it. We're going to do it together right now. We're going to pray. I want everybody in here, just lift your hands up to heaven right now. As a sign of surrender, open your hands. Just lift your hands up to heaven. We're going to let it all go right now. Just repeat this prayer with me. Say, Father, 
cleanse me. I call it what you call it. I have sinned. I've fallen short. But Jesus came to rescue me. Rescue me today. Set me free. Change me. God, I want to serve you. Empower me to live free of sin in victory every day. I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.